Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Denise Okuda from Star Trek. This is Michael Okuda, graphic designer from Star Trek. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you like what we're serving here at the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way, and by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today, audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor that allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come grab a chair and enjoy the conversations. I think we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. Yes, who's coming to dinner? Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. Good evening. I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. I'm Chrissy. And we have with us a special guest, Dave Sellers. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, we, you know what? And you've heard Dave if you listen to the podcast as recently as his uh, well last episode because uh, Dave has been helping us record interviews at conventions. Basically, is that is that what we? That's basically it, right? And some live shows there at the convention. That's been it so far. Yeah. So this is the first show that we're actually recording with Dave. That's not a convention show. That's just kind of cool. So exciting! I had to let me tell you. I had to twist Dave's arm to be in the show. He was like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right Star behind Trek, back. Star Trek. <laughs> now, Star Wars, oh, man, he, he, I really had to push him out of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about Come on a podcast to talk about my first love at Star Trek. That's right. <laughs> uh, so anyways, Dave, welcome. It's great to have you on and for us to be talking Star Trek Generations Movie 7. And um, as you know, if you've been listening to the show, we've been working our way since the early part of this year through all the Star Trek movies. And this is the last of the movies, unless you count Spock that actually features any of the original crew. And uh, so it's kind of the, uh, I guess it's not a true original series movie, but it's a blended movie. Wouldn't you say, is that the way, is that a good description of it? A blended movie? I don't know. Blended is good. Um, Maybe crossover, a limited crossover with this one. Uh, but yeah, you're, it, this is the this is the last time for a while we'll see anybody from the original crew. All right, all right. Well, uh, Miles, why don't you uh, give us a quick summary of what this movie's about? Um, a little bit about how it did at the box office, and then let's leap into talking about it. Okay, so this is a little short synopsis: Two captains, one destiny. In the late 23rd century, the USS Enterprise B is on her maiden voyage, and Kirk is no longer in the captain's chair. The ship must rescue Elorian refugees from a mysterious energy ribbon, but the rescue seemingly cost Kirk his life. 78 years later, one of the Elorian survivors leads the crew of the Enterprise D into a deadly confrontation with the Dora sisters as he plots to re-enter the paradise of the ribbon that nearly destroyed him years earlier. So this movie came out in uh, middle of November in, in 94, and it had a production budget of about $35 million. Domestic gross, it made about seventy-five, almost seventy-six million, and it uh, 
with foreign, it, it took another uh, 42 million. So a little over 118 million. So a, a good showing at the box office. Now, how does this showing compare to some of the other movies that we watched? Do you remember? Financially, I think um, it, it's it, it's pretty. It's really good. Um, it, it has it's had some mixed uh, critical um, acceptance, though. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Which we'll talk about. Yeah, we definitely we definitely can talk about that. Um, but I think I think the the powers that be were happy with how well the movie did. Yeah. So, Miles, where were you when you first saw this movie? I, I saw it in the theaters with a friend. I probably saw this movie three times in the theaters. Oh, um, so you hated so, it. So, <laughs> well, without I I didn't I, I don't hate it, but I don't. I don't love it as much as I love other Star Trek films, okay, right, which right. we get into. I just meant um, that you uh, loved it enough to go see it three times in the theater. You know, there's the different different people didn't see it with me, and so I had to, you know, um, take one for the team and go see it again. <laughs> you know how that is, <laughs> right? 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 Suffer through it one more time, right? Mm. Yes. Mm. Uh, Chrissy, where where did you see this movie the first time? Honestly, I don't really remember seeing it much when I was younger. So it would probably have been like in my living room with my dad and my brother and sister. So Or last week. Possibly last week. Because <laughs> you don't remember seeing the movie at all, right? I don't. Like It was one of those things where like I felt like I had seen it. But then I was like, but I don't remember actually seeing it. So maybe one of those things where like maybe over the years I've seen clips of it. So yeah. Or maybe you're watching it with like your parents. You're like. Attention to it or something like that. Well, I it would have come out in ninety four, and I started kindergarten in ninety three. So let's right, right. So let's put all that in perspective. Right? <laughs> like I would have been like six or seven. <laughs> right, 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 right. Dave, how about you? Uh, where did you? Uh, how did you first see this? Did you see this in theaters? Where, where? How did this come into your world? I was eleven years old, and this was the first Trek movie I got to see in theaters. I. Uh, oh. Talked my mom into taking me out to the theater with a friend of mine to awesome. uh, to check it out. So, which theater did you go to? Um, probably the Regal there in Manor Shopping Center. Right, right. It's right a re- re- town. It's, it's, uh, one of the main theaters in Lancaster City, where near where we are at right now. I probably I probably saw this movie first time on a DVD or I it was maybe I streamed it. I don't remember. It was it was probably like five or six years ago that I really remember watching it. Some of the older movies I had seen growing up when I was a teenager on VHS, um, but this is one that I don't think I saw to a little bit later because I didn't get into like Next Generation till probably like five, six, seven years ago. So. So going back to rewatch this movie, uh, what was it like? What what grabs you? Um, what resonated with you? Let's start. Let's start with. Uh, let's start on a positive note here. So, um, anyone want to take the reins and go first? I saw. I, I was. I remember when I first saw it. I was excited about the crossover with. Um, Captain Kirk and Picard. Um, so 
And it had a lot of fans excited. The fans were clamoring for uh, a crossover. And we saw limited crossovers on TNG. We saw Scotty make an appearance. We saw um, Dr. McCoy made an appearance in the uh, pilot episode of uh, TNG. And then we would see Spock make an appearance in, in, in TNG also. But this would, you know, but to have Kirk make an appearance with uh, anybody on the TNG crew w- w- was huge. And so seeing the two of them together, uh, it, it, at the time, it was a fanboy's dream. So, yeah, so you had that going in. You had that going in. Uh, Chrissy, how about for you? When you watched it, what stood out to you watching it this time that really resonated, that you really liked? Well, I, I like anything Captain Kirk, to be honest. Okay, okay. So, um, that. There's that. There's, there's always, that. like, there's... a Captain Kirk song. Like, I'm right, there. Like, right. the, that's just, that's just a given. Um, I actually, this is how much of a social worker I am. I really liked the themes of looking at, um, mortality. Oh, yeah. So, how, what did you call that? You said you were analyzing it, the. Um, it struck me as, um, for people who don't know, it's a theorist from psychology, um, Eric Erickson, his psycho, psychosocial stages, and that at that point in your life, you have one last life crisis where you examine, you look back on your life and you either feel like you were able to accomplish the things that you wanted, you're satisfied, you feel that you've made your mark on the world and that you've made a difference, or you feel like you have lots of regret and then you tumble down into a deep, dark depths of despair. Right, right. Which, right. which you kind of saw right. both, both Kirk and Picard go through. Right. And kind of both of them arrive at the resolution of integrity. So, psycholo- like, so I liked that it was a more, for, for me, it was more of a psychological film and even like it's mimicked a little bit more with data being able to finally integrate his emotions. So. Right. Wayne, it's, it's a, you're going to bring us to a whole new level here, Chrissy. We're talking, we're talking this in a psychological depth and <laughs> much deeper than we typically take it. That's awesome though. That, yeah. That's I, I like, I like the, like what you said, Chrissy, the, the exploration of mortality. Um, that's a, I, I, I didn't, I didn't delve into that. So that I, I, I like that observation. Yeah. That, that to me was basically the entire theme of the film, almost from the get go, where you see Kirk come in. He's kind of like trying to pass on Enterprise, Enterprise A, B. you know, right. to Enterprise B. And then even like seeing, you know, um, Sulu's daughter coming to be at the helm. And they're like, well, it wouldn't be an Enterprise without a Sulu. And he, you can see that it strikes him as, you know, he doesn't have. An heir. An heir. And, a family? You know, yeah, yeah. and and there's this buffoon of a captain coming in. And he, you just look like the look on Kirk's face is just like, I'm leaving the Enterprise to this guy, this guy. Like, <laughs> what <laughs> the heck? And you see him struggle. Like, when they get into crisis mode, he so much wants to jump in there. And he's so much trying not to. I know. So I love, <laughs> I love that he, like... His his character wants to jump in, but he respects the position of captain and respects that, you know, I'm no longer doing that. And that can be really hard when you're like trying when you, you've had this project, it's your baby, and then you pass it on to the next person and then they take it and make it their own. And you're like kind of silently twitching a little bit. <laughs> well, it, 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 you know, anytime you have like 
like, like I think of that, you know, so I've Kiefer and Taisha, you teach them to do something and they do it, but they don't do it quite the way you do it. <laughs> And there's a part of you that twitches. It's not like you're doing it terribly. Like, I, I, totally, I, I totally feel for what Kurt's going through here. You know, because, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, well, it's great. I think that's a great. I think you pull out something that's probably a really strong theme. And probably for some people, this was a criticism of the movie that it was so psychological and cerebral and not enough good story for some people well and and that that would have been my criticism is that even though it was so cerebral like i kind of feel like they they didn't focus it's almost one of those things where they kind of needed to pick a focus and they should have if that was where they were going then some of these other like subplots plots should have been kind of taken out so that they could really focus in on that because if you don't with the psychological film it falls flat. People don't get it. And then people end up not liking it very much. Dave, how about you? Uh, what struck you watching this movie again? I assume you went back and rewatched it. I mean, you, you needed an excuse. Oh, yeah. I always <laughs> need an excuse. It, it was one that I, I never really liked much throughout the years. But every time I do watch it, it grows on me a little bit more. And I find something different in it that I, I, for whatever reason, never picked before. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. I don't know. And just are able to kind of understand the, like, like you were saying about the, uh, the real, uh, mental stuff with it. I, I don't know, but even the more I watch it, I, again, we were talking about captain Harriman and just what, a a, a goofy guy he is and i'm like how did you get the command of the enterprise of, of all ships good, good golly. um but uh it was always funny watching kirk and scotty and 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 check off like fish out of water with all the cameras around in the opening sequence and i but i wish they would have kept the the original opening that they had it would have made that that scene on the bridge much more uh i think deeper what original and, opening did they have for the so the the original opening and it's in a deleted scenes on the on the on the dvds and stuff intermixed with the champagne bottle flying through space and crashing on the ship you had yes. you had Scotty and Chekhov. It would pan back and forth with Scotty and Chekhov standing in the middle of this wheat field where they're looking for Kirk up in the sky. He's doing some for satellite orbital skydiving thing. <laughs> and he ends up landing and is all psyched out. And they were talking about all this other, these other adventure crazy sports he's doing with like lava rafting and all kinds of other goofy stuff. I don't know what that stuff. is, but I want to do it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and they're they're telling him about you know, you know you can't do this. He had something planned the next week. He's like, no, you can't go do this. We have the ceremony for the the new Enterprise. Like, I'm not going. Well, yeah, you are. I'm. I said I'm not going, and that's final. <laughs> and then pan to the the champagne bottle breaking on the ship and and uh, and moving on. But it's it's just a. 
I think it, it to me it just added so much more to the mental place that those three are in, especially Kirk, who I, I even I still choke up a little bit when they read the damage report and she looks up and Scotty takes off down to the deflector control room that right. you know Kirk's gone. But to me it's so Captain Kirk that it wasn't enough that he had to die once. He's such the tough guy. He's got to die a second time. <laughs> <I died> twice, <laughs> yeah. Once was the Chuck Norris of Star Trek. <laughs> I was going to say, I was just going to mention that this is a Chuck Norris joke waiting to happen. He, he died Absolutely. 78 years ago, but death is just, you know, too scared to tell him. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Has to come in the Nexus and tell him. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... That is, uh, those are some good, and I like that idea of. I think the scene that you're describing shows that reluctance in Kirk to go back. Yeah, I think because of what the Enterprise does means. I mean, we've seen him numerous times take over the Enterprise um, and almost be unable to let it go. Yeah, and it, so and so to see him continue to struggle with that makes sense because if he's going to be on the Enterprise, he's going to be captain. Yeah, you know, and yeah, it's 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 an addiction or, or of some sort to him that he, he just he can't and doesn't want to let it go. But if he goes back just for even a minute, it, it's gonna suck him right back in. My my problem with the captain, <laughs> Captain Harriman, is that I keep seeing yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I I can't. And so when I look at him and see him as captain, I'm like, oh, of course he can't captain. He's he's Matthew Broderick's sidekick in Paris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. He's busy skipping school. <laughs> yeah. See, if he wouldn't have skipped school, he would have been a better captain. That's what it comes down to. That's it. Well, I mean, he crashed his dad's car. I mean, well, like, now you're did he crash it or did Matthew Broderick crash it? Well, isn't he the one who kicked it through the window? Well, yeah. they were trying to... Run it backwards to make the odometer go backwards. Well, he's still the one who kicked it through the window. So you're going to give him the Enterprise B after that incident? I don't know. Apparently. (laughs) These people in charge of of Starfleet, I tell you. They need new people there. Some better upper management. They're not coming until Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) It is Tuesday. (laughs) This is Tuesday. Uh, Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday we're talking. Next Tuesday. Not this Tuesday. Well, you know, uh, so – what, what what struck me about this, it was really, number one, it, it it had been quite a few years. And I was kind of in the middle of reading some, like, homework that students had done and that I didn't really have to think about and watch. And I totally forgot that the original crew or some of the original crew were on this movie. So when it started, I mean, I knew Kirk was, but I forgot how they got to Kirk. And so when I started seeing the opening credits, I'm like, oh, 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 I was pleasantly surprised because I wasn't expecting it. And it started out like any of the other six movies that we had started out with, you know, the original crew on the Enterprise and, you know, going out for a maiden voyage. And uh, so I was pleasantly surprised by it. And, and, And I was enjoying it because I was so used to that crew. And uh, and then they brought on the next gen crew, 
And uh, I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> I was. <Really? laughs> you know, I was just like, ah, oh, where's Kirk, Scotty, and, you know, you know, the, you know, and I was just, um, I was missing them when they came on. But maybe that I doesn't make sense to you guys, but. I well, still want to know what Worf did to get a promotion since Picard continuously shuts him down every time he makes a suggestion on the bridge. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just curious. <laughs> I don't know. Miles can answer that. But. Well, this, I mean, Dave, you, you, you've been an X-Gen fan for a long time. Mm -hmm. I wonder how, this, is, this is how I, I, I look at it. I, I feel like this few minutes with the Enterprise B is just kind of like – Rick Berman kind of throwing the fans a bone. Um, all right. You want your crossover? We'll give you your crossover. Right. But we're going to kill Captain Kirk. Spoiler alert. The movie's almost 25 years old. <laughs> whatever. What? Um, what? That's it. I'm out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Table. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hate to be negative here, but I almost feel that the, the, the original series part of the movie doesn't get enough. Was wasn't given enough love in the movie, and so it's it's not a very good scene. Um, we we get an inept guy be the captain. We get a, a starship that is not fully staffed, not fully equipped. Oh, but it's the closest ship to this distress call. Now that's a trope that Star Trek has used in the other movies. No big deal, but um, but it, it forces the crew to try to be. Um, use some ingenuity to try to try to save these refugees that are stuck in this. But I, I, as a fan, I just look at that and I'm thinking, really? I mean, that this is, this is what you give us. I mean, if you're going to do a crossover episode or crossover movie, give this, this movie shouldn't have been it. Um, there should have been, it should have been a real crossover or there should have been more balance given to the, to the original series side. What what's interesting is parts were offered to most of the people on the um, the original series crew, but th th most of them turned it down, just saying, I "I've already, you know, I've already said goodbye in the last film, and I've already, I just kind of feel like I'm being wasted here." And um, I mean, I'm glad they got Scotty, I'm glad they got Chekhov. They looked very strong in this, but. Um, this is where I'm going to, you know, just kind of tell you what my feelings are about this movie. It, it's, it's a good movie, but it's not a great movie. It could have been so much better. Um, it could have been so much more epic and it, it almost feels just like a good episode of TNG, not necessarily a, a great, great Star Trek movie. Uh, and I thought about that. I had a problem. I think miles where I had a problem was there's a sense of, Despite the flaws of the prior six movies, um, and not all of them, because there are some great movies in that batch, uh, the Enterprise crew carries itself, the original crew carries itself a certain way. And the shift from that crew to the next-gen crew, just it just didn't carry it as much. And I like that you said that this feels like a next-gen episode, Cause when I, cause I, cause that's what I thought. It's like, oh look, they have Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer as available. It's great. It's not him. I know <laughs> that. 
but it, it looks a little bit like him. It does. So, mm-hmm. But uh, I know it's what Malcolm McDowell or whoever, but uh, yep. not James Marston or whatever his name is. Um, but the that's what I kept thinking of, and I'm like, well, this is a neat next gen episode, but it had the them playing with Data's humor chip bothered me. Um, <laughs> not because I mean, so I'm familiar enough with the next gen story arc to know that this is Data's quest throughout throughout next gen. Um, but throwing it in on a movie, I guess I'm a little bit unfair because this came out next gen was, you know, in its prime, right? Am I right about that? Well, yeah, this 1994 was a very busy year for the, uh, the, the, the cast Ooh. and crew of TNG. They were right. wrapping up the series. Um, I guess it would have been, the, the spring or summer of 94 and, uh, and then I, they probably wrapped it up probably ba- six months before or whatever. But, but then after that, then they're going into making a movie. So they, they, they have very little break to do for anything at that moment in right. time. So um, uh, it was just so, yeah. for, for me, you know, the data, the data humor thing was great, but felt out of place in the movie. Well, for me, I think, if I recall, reading that they were originally supposed to have eight seasons of Next Generation. Is that, is that right? And they can't, Guys. and they didn't do it because they didn't want it commuting with the movie. So I'm wondering if it's in part because they had almost a. Pl- I'm just speculating at this point. If they had had that plan for the next season to finally finish his story arc and complete his quest, then they may have felt. It necessary because I, I thought it kind of took away from the primary story arc to have that story arc going. I was like, "What? Why is this here?" Not that I don't love Data and his exactly. cat. I mean, right? That scene at the very end when he finds his cat, like that moved me. But that really moved it. Chrissy was in tears. Not quite, but I did. Close, I did close. lose my cat at one point, and so I knew exactly what he was feeling. <laughs> okay. So that yeah. that's why it moved me. As a cat owner, I, I I would empathize with that too. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay. Uh, I, Miles, I know I know it kind of jumped in there, but uh, your thoughts on what what I said, what Chrissy said about this? Oh, I, I think I think a lot of these themes would have done well explored in a TV episode. Like Data decides he wants to install his emotion chip, or um. That, I mean, that that was a, a kind of a, a B C plot in this movie. Um, so yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think that would, I, I think, I think it would have been served better. But they decided to do, to do, every, do it, everything in this movie. I think. Dave, your thoughts. I also love the fact too of this. Some of my favorite episodes in in TNG were were really Picard centric where like uh, the episode uh, family, which was right after he was liberated from the Borg. And I think inner light is the name of the one. Is that what that's that the one miles where he gets sucked into that kind of like that satellite puts the memory in his head of yes. some lost civilization starts playing the flute. Yeah. Right. You're correct, sir. Yeah. Where you really like it. And in this movie, when he gets the news of, of his brother, nephew's death in the fire, 
it, you really get to see the glimpse behind the, the prim and proper officer to the actual human side of Picard. And I don't know why, but that is always, those have always been some of my favorite moments in TNG. I'm glad I get to see a little bit of it in here. And, and Kurt and Picard's acting, Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart's acting in this movie is, it, it, it's always ph- phenomenal, but it's, it's particularly phenomenal in this. I will, this is where I will give it some oh, yeah. love here is just saying he's great in this. Uh, he, they actually show him after he gets the news, he can't function for a little while. He's inconsolable. And I mean, usually he, he can, you know, put, put on a, um, a brave face and do his duty. But there's, there's, there's some time in this movie where he can't, he just, you know, Riker, you take care of it. Uh, so I, I, I did like that. That's just like, okay, yes, he, he, you know, he's human. He's, you know, the, the death of a, a family, um, hits him hard and he can't function for a little while until, you know, eventually he can, he can, he can, he can put his grief on a shelf for a while and, and keep going. But, um, there's a moment in time he can't, I thought that was interesting. I mean, that, that, that really does echo his struggle at the end in the nexus is, uh, um, the, uh, what are the stages of grief? I guess I keep wanting to call them the stages of grief. So you can correct me, but the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, Erickson stages of development, you know, you see that echoed, him losing this is his family. I mean, he doesn't have any other family but the Enterprise. And mm-hmm. so to lose a member like that, that's that hits him hard. And it really makes a it almost draws a really good parallel between Kirk and Picard as far as what they've made priority in their lives, how they feel about their service, and what they've sacrificed to do what they've done. And it, it it's just really, really interesting to actually when you get to sit down and kind of look at it side by side in the same movie, you know, from the, you know, when did Sulu find time for a family and then right. Picard finding his, his, uh, his Nexus family married to Dr. Crusher. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> you know, and then trying to snap himself out of that, realizing that he still has a job to do. And again, duty's pulling him away from his family. Yep. And this, even though this family's not real, it's pulling him away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. The same with Kirk. In the same way with Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are these are interesting thoughts as we kind of uh, explore this movie a little bit. So, um, l- what are some of? Um, so we we kind of talked about a little bit about the captains and about this being really a next gen, a glorified next gen episode. Um, uh, what did you think of the, what did you think of the villain in this story? Well, Malcolm McDowell, the worst he gets is good. So, right. I mean, if you're going to, you, you got one of the best actors to do this. Um, although he did let the cat out of the bag early on that uh, he gets to kill Kirk, which uh, I think he made the powers that be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he uh, when they were before the film was released, he spilled that. Yes. Oops. Um, Oops. This is like the big thing in the movie, right? Yeah. I, I don't. He he basically p- plays a a grieving father and husband, and I wonder if 
I'm just used to him being a little more playing more bigger than life, mega um, megalomaniac type roles. If maybe he was maybe too too good for this role, I guess. Um, I mean, he he just you know he just wanted to get back to his his wife and, and family. Uh, it's it's, but you know at the same time he's willing to sacrifice all the lives on one planet to do it. It's just, he says, well, we all have to die sometime. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting conversation between him and Picard when Picard is right. trying to reason with him and, um, just, just where he is in his head and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And for me, when it, when you look back at the past villains we had in the Star Trek movies, I mean, we had, of course, Khan, the quintessential, then you had, uh, you know, Doc Brown, um, and then you had um, <laughs> Spock's brother. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm t- <laughs> this is how I refer to them. You know, and, and, and you look at all these different characters, and there, there's something about them that stands out. And this, I, I like that you said that he's kind of subdued because he does feel perhaps too subdued to be a real villain in the like him going back to his family there's something we identify with it mm-hmm. so he's not the true baddie that star trek's facing you know what i mean yeah i will say this though i can't i mean the, i i like the way he stands up to the klingons and the dora sisters i can't see anybody else you know doing right. it quite like he does i mean he so that, that that's kind of entertaining there's a real cerebral end to him that you saw a glimpse of that. I really wish they would have dove into a little bit more when he's battling with Picard when they're there in 10, four and he's not Lorian. So they're kind of, I guess, whatever sensitive to a lot of things. And when he makes that comment about time being the fire in which we burn and Picard kind of just looks aghast at, Oh my gosh, how did you know that that would get to me? Yeah, it was a glimpse of that. That I w- they could have just gone a little more cerebral with him, had a few more mind games and stuff with with Picard. But I don't know. They didn't go that way. He yeah, loved made that it quote. Malcolm McDowell loved that quote so much he etched it on the back of his watch for the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. So he uh, he that, that line was that is for me. That's like that's like the line that really sets him off, and then nothing much else happens. Well, that's not true, but it just doesn't feel quite as like that line really carries it. Yeah. And he shows that, uh, you know, he can kick Picard's ass in in a real fist fight. (laughs) I did think it was neat that we saw, uh, you know, the Klingons get a lot of bad rap and there is a, there's a sense in which the portrayal in this movie is kind of bumbling idiots. Um, maybe that's unfair, it's, but it's just the way I felt about him. Um, but the fact that uh, McDowell or his character, um, Soren, you know, he goes in and he reconfigures uh, Jordan Forge's uh, visor so they can see on the Enterprise, and then they figure out how to bypass the shields. Like that's that's kind of a fun scene. And it's very Star Trek Next Generation, also. Oh, it is. Uh, it is I mean, kind of using the tech, the tech to uh, come up with a solution. Yeah. And using the tech against the people. And then, yeah, you're right. And um, so I did like that. 
I did like that. Oh, and these Klingons are familiar to us. I mean, we've seen them a few times in TNG and once in D Space Nine. So the the audience uh, knows them. Okay. I felt like Lursa and Bator got cheated. Uh, How so? Having their deaths being as such minor role players in the scheme of the movie. I don't with just a, a a faulty design in their cloaking device and just getting blown up. I mean, I don't know. I, I would have loved to have seen them die in a much more fitting way for them. As they got outsmarted. And, yeah, as devious and treacherous as they were with the Romulans and everything, rather than actually dying in actual battle like a Klingon. I don't yeah, know. They did feel it did feel like not as noble as you would expect a Klingon yeah. death to be, but unceremonious. Yeah, certainly unceremonious. Just like, okay, she blew up; they're gone. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're at them, and and not like unceremoniously, like when you saw Wash die in Firefly, where you know you breathe outside the leaf and then he dies. Like there was a point to that. Leave. Yeah, there's a point. Like you felt like there was a point to that, right. as opposed to. Almost like the writers being like, I don't know. I should just let them blow up. Like, whatever. Yeah. Just so you know that Firefly reference, Chrissy is wearing her River shirt right now that has River standing there with the two axes out in, the, in, in among all those Reavers. Totally cool. <laughs> and, oh, cool. And it, awesome. and it says you need to work out like Reavers exist. Yes. It's my motivational yes. <laughs> shirt that I typically wear when I'm working out. Yeah, you guys can't see that on the show, but it's rocking. Yes. It's rocking. Yes. So. <laughs> but. Um, so, what are the things do we uh, need to talk about regarding this movie? I mean, well, um, when they first showed it that, to test audiences, they were very upset how Kirk meets his end. Uh, the one we see in theaters is not the original one. Mm-hmm. I think if you if you have a director's cut that. DVD, uh, that, that they'll have that in there. Uh, yeah, basically, Kirk just takes a shot to the back from uh, Soren's uh, disruptor. Um, and so they actually refilmed that a lot of that. I mean, so. Thank God that was it, horrible. <laughs> well, you figure that they, 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 they filmed the first time they destroy all the stuff. And so it was a very expensive um, thing today to rebuild a lot of that set and, and um, you know, come up with another way to. Um, kill Kirk, which I, I, I'm not I, I'm against them killing Kirk in this movie uh, I, I, I think Berman I, I think Berman was just trying to put the last few nails to the coffin to original series and this was his way of doing it um, I, I, don't, I don't think you had to kill Kirk um, much less twice <laughs> yeah, well, well, well our emotions. He, wanted, he wanted to really stick it to Kirk <laughs> <laughs> well, like, here, here's the interesting thing. Um, you know, William Shatner was very upset over. You know, he, he wasn't at, at first, but then I think, but then he missed the character, and I think he really he got Star Trek, and he actually pitched an idea to uh, I think Berman and, and some of the other producers about bringing Kirk back, and and they 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 didn't go with it, and uh, 
maybe Dave, you've might, maybe you've read a couple of these books. Uh, so Shatner penned his own novels with some help uh, of how they brought back Kirk. So there's this, there is these books called the Shatner verse where Kirk is alive in the 24th century and um, kind of having, you know, there, there's the adventures of how he comes back and some of his adventures after that. So really? Yeah. How yeah. did I not know about these? Oh yeah, yeah. There, so and now his reading list grows. Right, right. He oh, needs, yeah. he needs more in his reading list. <laughs> I need more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're very enjoyable books too. Um, but but so yes, uh, test audiences said we don't. I mean, this is this is terrible. How you, how you know how Kirk meets his end here? So they they rewrote it, refilmed it, um, to, to the one to the one we had in, in this movie. Huh. Yeah. So, by the way, there were Dave for you. There were like nine books in the Shatnerverse series. Nine. Nine written by William oh, Shatner. Gonna, look, at, like can you forever. can hear the excitement. Like, oh, are like, you serious? Yeah, he's like he's right there. Christmas came early. I did. Oh. It did. So, <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. You will. You know, I just typed in Shatnerverse and found it. But, but yeah. Um. Yeah. Other thoughts. You know, the uniforms were originally supposed to be different as well. Yes. Playmates put, well, Playmates put out a line in 94 for the movie, but it came out before the movie was released. And they must have done it in a rush because it's the worst series of action figures Playmates ever put out. And I think I have just about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're worst ones, but I have them all. But, yeah. uh, yeah, they they lost four points of articulation in the figures, which is goofy. But the uniforms were very reminiscent, looking like the the regular TNG uniforms with the the black across the shoulders. Oh yeah, and the department color in the middle. But instead of having the straight the uh, zipper up the middle in the front, it kind of kicks off to the right side and down, much like the uh, the maroon uniforms that. Uh, they're like jackets, the, yeah. They're more like a jacket with uh, the rank pips right on the right along the the black along that seam, and then the uh, bands around the, the cuffs signifying rank also. But they were very very different. And then they released this line line of them before the movie came out. The movie came out wasn't those uniforms. They re released then another line of extra action figures that were in the correct the correct style then do you have that but yes <laughs> i think i actually have a lot of the generation the the original generations ones still in the packages somewhere all right but i'd have to find it's your it's your future kids and inter- it's your kids inheritance so oh she already is yeah, with the movie. to play it. <laughs> yeah with a the movie they had they, they had a chance to either change something you know a budget for a movie they can they thought they were trying new costumes. I guess they didn't. They felt they didn't work, so they actually, to save money, they borrowed some of the D, the uniforms from D Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Jonathan Frakes wore Avery Brooks's uniform, okay. and uh, Lavar Burton wore uh, Calm Meany's uh, uniform okay. in the movie. Um, so it was a mixture of the, the classic. TNG uniforms with with the D Space Nine uniforms. Then we also see a new com badge uh, that that we see moving forward uh, for the, for the rest of uh, the TNG and uh, subsequent um, uh, 
TV series um, right. in this in this time period. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So, they they also tweaked the bridge. They put more bridge. They put, they put more bridge stations. I thought the bridge looked gorgeous. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They, they, I liked it. So they, they, they try to make it more, just, just, just make it more. Um, but from what I understand, people who make movies and TV just say the next gen sets were not the best for, for the movie. So that what this was an opportunity for when they, when they decided to destroy the enterprise was, um, We'll, we'll get rid of these sets. We'll build new ones for the next one. We'll build a new ship. And actually, what they did was with with the TNG sets. Uh, after they demolished them, that's where they built the Voyager sets. Oh. See, look, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So that's why we have Miles in the show. So the the, the Akuda commentary uh, had all that information there. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yep. Thanks to the Akudas in that one. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, Miles, I know that we have to let you go here. Any uh, final thoughts before we uh, shoot you off to work? Yeah, I don't want to end this totally on a negative note. Um, I love the music. I, I got many uh, hours of listening pleasure listening to the music. I thought that this was a great score. And um, so I was enjoying hearing that again when I watched the movie. Um, what, another thing I liked was the, the saucer. when 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 the Enterprise's warp core breaches, they have to separate the ship. And this is something that was exp- the theories explored in the the start the next generation Enterprise technical manual of this if the saucer had to land on a planet. And so I thought that was a really cool effect of the saucer crash landing on the planet. Um, <laughs> and most of it was practical. Uh, they maybe CGI a little bit of stuff, but um, so I, I thought that was uh, an incredible scene. The saucer section landing on the planet. And I've always loved when they when you when you see the saucer separate from the the main thing. That's always a very cool. Yeah. Although they had well, I will. I must bid both all of you good night. It was fun talking. uh, uh, Star Trek Generations with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so, Miles, we will uh, we'll uh, we'll 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 chat in line, and we'll see you next. So, all right. Thanks for joining us, man. Great. Good night, y'all. I'll talk to you later. So he mentioned the music. Who did the music for this one? I'm trying to look and I can't find it. It's uh, a good question. That should be an easy. That should be an easy. Like I should easily be able to look that up. Uh, four more credits. Let me see here. Story, screenplay, television. Gene Roddenberry. Da, da, da. Dennis McCarthy. Thank Dennis McCarthy. I don't even know anything about him. But no. Well, we know he makes good music. Hey, that uh, is what we know. At least, at least according to Miles, right? Um, the music was good. It wasn't certainly wasn't detracting. So, really no. It, so, although I thought it was interesting that they didn't like. I noticed a distinct absence of music during the fight scene. You were talking about it. So, what did you notice as you were watching? You're talking about the fight scene at the very end. Well, that and the one before. They get caught up in the ribbon, ribbon, and you see all the stuff going on with um, Captain Kirk. Right. But it just struck me as something that you don't ever see now in a modern movie. Like it was just so quiet, and the only thing you really heard was the impact of you know 
basically fist on body and, you know, the hitting the ground and the way that, you know, the metal things, you know, were, were moving around. And it struck me as very, inter- like an interesting artistic choice because the, there wasn't a music to make it like to build the tension. The tension was like almost, like I said, it's a very cerebral, psychological right. film. It's very much it. The tension that you're feeling at that moment isn't produced by music. It's actually one of the reasons why I don't like watching horror films is because I don't like the sudden jumps in musical volume. Right. Like the actual stuff going on in the film, I don't care about. But right, it's but the music the, jumps. The music, I don't the like music it. That bothers you. It, it startles me. But in the fight scene. That it didn't have that. And I thought it was a very intriguing artistic choice. And I actually liked it. Yeah. What did you think of that? I would have paid to have some Amok time fight music between Kirk and uh, <laughs> Kirk and Soren. Okay, throw. <laughs> no, I'm not feeling no, 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 no. <laughs> but a very interesting artistic choice. Yes, like something uh, you just don't ever see. No, you don't. You don't. You definitely don't. Like if they did that today, you would have, you know, like cannons. the closest that when you're describing the closest that you get is like when you see like uh, TV shows that try to get an authentic idea of ships in space where there's no sound in the vacuum that's kind of like the most authentic you get but there's no music you just see the ship drifting you know something like that mm. but uh, so that's what this that's what that, that reminds me of just a little bit but you said it was effective for you it was effective for me i don't know if it was effective for other people yeah but well it makes sense but uh dave what are some other things that that that, that hit you that you want to talk about regarding this uh I'm, even today, I still catch myself now and again singing Data's Life Forms scanning song. Yeah, oh, that, yes. That, that, that just, <laughs> I don't know why, it cracks me up every time I see it. As as goofy and, and ill-placed as it feels and, and forced almost in this whole movie. I don't know. Data's character is just amusing. Because it's so non non data. Well, and it's not it's it's non Star Trek. Like everyone's yeah. kind of doing their commandy things, but not data. He's <laughs> data. He, getting he's all emotional. Playing with Mr. Yeah, he's, he's playing with Mr. Tricorder, getting all emotional and yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cursing. I, I, you know what? I think this was their attempt to bring humor into a movie that came off as maybe perhaps a little bit more heavy. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it particularly works, but uh, that I think it was their way of bringing humor into the movie. Give it to Brent Spiner. He did a good job with it, I think. But, but you know, he, yeah, he did as well as he could have. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not certain that it is the actor's fault as much as his scripting and other things that kind of play into that. Yeah. Yeah, it it didn't like I knew what it was for, but it didn't really do it yeah. for me. Like Yeah. I thought it was misplaced. I thought it was very in- like I felt that that story arc itself would have been very interesting in another place. Well, it'd have been great as a TNG episode. Because I mean, right. emotional right. regulation, integration, like that's totally my thing. Right. 
So for like, so I'm just like, I want to love this so much right now, but I just can't because you're detra- like, I felt like it detracted from the other story that was going on. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe when we're contemplating mortality, we need to be a little, I don't know, more goofy. I read this, uh, I read this to Chrissy earlier, but, um, so Roger Ebert, uh, when they reviewed it, they gave it two stars out of five. So they didn't review it very high, but I loved, I loved his opening and ending quote. Can I read this for you, Dave? Oh yeah. So he says, the Star Trek saga has always had a weakness for getting distracted by itself and Star Trek generations. The seventh film installment is undone by its narcissism. Wow. <laughs> Sick burn. Yeah. Here's a, and it goes on. This is a movie so concerned with in jokes and updates for Trekkers that can barely tear itself away long enough to tell a story. So that's his opening lines of it. And I thought, okay, there's a point while he's being perhaps unduly harsh for those of us that love Star Trek. Um, right. There is. There is some of this that was echoed just in what we were discussing regarding the old crew and and what we're trying to do to kind of appease the fans. There is some of that in that. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, a little harsh, but get, gets the gist of it down <laughs> yeah. really well. It gets well, right to the core of it. I, I kind of feel that some of the other the previous films like you could still watch and have not needed to watch the whole show to like their show to get it but there were things in this that i'm like there's like a joke or two and i'm just like because as i've said before like i was was really young when i would have watched this original like originally and then would have seen the original star well not the original star trek star trek the next generation originally right and there were just some things i'm like i don't remember so i didn't get it right and so I'm like, I can see if you're, you know, a film critic, you haven't seen any Star Trek Next Generation, you sit down to watch this film, you'd be like, I have no, like, who who are you? Why is this thing? Like, why is this funny? What's going on? And, and he's right. You, you almost have to have followed Next Gen. Well, because Because you can't walk in. Like, I feel like with some of the original series movies, I did not have to watch the original series to get would you agree, Dave, that we you, you don't have to watch the original series three seasons to understand what was going on in the movies? No, you you could jump in with the movies. I mean, the only thing you miss is a little bit of understanding the characters and their interactions with right. each other. But for, to follow a simple storyline with it, no. Yeah, yeah you could, but this movie, you almost had to have some backstory of, of, of the Next Generation universe in order to right. really understand what was going on. Right, especially the whole the whole subplot with data and the emotion data. Well, because he's yeah, like referencing a joke that happened at Farpoint, and everyone else is like, "What? What? What is this?" Yeah, that was seven years ago. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, this this uh, he goes on to say. Roger goes on to say because we're on first name basis. Um, <laughs> he's talking about the um, Kirk passing and says. I, for one, will miss him. There's something endearing about Star Trek world, even down to the including its curious tradition that the even-numbered movies tend to be better than the odd-numbered. <laughs> it's fun to hear the obligatory dialogue one more time. My favorite, always said by someone watching a giant view screen, where that unearthly sight has appeared, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, that line that we, we see. 
Um, and then he goes, Star Trek, Star Trek seems to cross props of science fiction with the ideas of Westerns. Watching the fate of millions being settled by an old-fashioned fist fight on a rickety steel bridge, intercut with close-ups of bolts popping loose and the structure sagging ominously, I was almost amused by the shabby storytelling. <laughs> so why doesn't more movie science fiction have the originality and imagination of its print origins? In Stargate, the alien god Ra was able to travel the universe yet still needed slaves to build his pyramids. In Star Trek Generations, the starship can go boldly where no one has gone before, but the screenwriters can only do vice versa. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> oh. If I ever need to insult someone, I need to call this guy up. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, can, you write this, can you write this email for me? Like, I really need a sick so, so, again, perhaps unduly harsh, but it, there is, it's not without a grain of truth to it. You know what I mean? I, or am I reading that? Wouldn't you say that there's a sense of truth in that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really a myth. Although, if it was a movie for fans, then you know what? Some well, then, it, then maybe it accomplishes purpose, right? And, and it's sometimes I feel it is okay to make a movie for the fans. Right. Like, you don't, not everything has to be for everyone. Right. Like, if, if their accomplishment was, look, we're Star Trek, we're going to make, make it, it for yeah. people who actually watch Star Trek. And if they don't like it, tough. Yeah. It wasn't made for them. It was made for our fans. Yeah. And that's okay. I could agree with this being made for next generation fans of fans of the original series. Right. But this, again, is not the movie you're going to walk in and just watch and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to take in Star Trek popcorn this weekend. You know? Yeah. So there, So if you're trying to get your friends into Star Trek, this is not the movie no, to do No, not with. your entrance movie. Right. Not, not your gateway drug. Yeah. So find a different one. <laughs> yeah, then find a different work, one. Work them to this. Yeah. Dave... Of the first seven movies, if you had to show one of these movies to someone who was not a Star Trek fan to get them into Star Trek, which one of the seven would you choose? Ooh. To show them to someone who was not a Trek fan? That's correct. Not that they have been adamant that they're not, but just maybe they just haven't seen it. I don't think which one I would show to my wife first. Um (laughs) Probably four. Okay. Four. Because, it, yeah, it, you got the time travel thing, but it takes pl- it doesn't take place in a sci-fi setting so much. You know, it's it's on Earth. You know, it, it's. I think it'd be a little easier for somebody to get into it. Now they're going to want to know how the heck did they get there. What right. There's, some, story, there's some questions that aren't going to be answered, but. Plenty is, yeah. yeah. Um, either that one, really, or, or Wrath of Khan. I mean, for me, go all out to the the action-packed one. You find out enough through the movie, but you got to be also be a, you know, an action sci-fi. Right. I don't know. Thing. I I, I think I would agree with you. Number four would be mine. That would yeah. be the one. Is that what's that? What you pick? That that yeah. would be the one that I would pick. It's 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 it, and the thing is, it's so dang funny. It is. Um, <laughs> but again, I, I here again. If you are not into Star Trek, part of what makes that movie funny is we know these characters from the other movies and other series. And so to see them in here, that's part of what makes it funny. Um, But I think on the other side of that, like my daughter who doesn't watch Star Trek, and I mentioned this in the show before, 
walks in halfway through the movie and is rolling the floor laughing about the hospital chase. You know, so she <laughs> she she is not a Star Trek fan and watched the rest of the movie with me. And, you know, we talked about some things she didn't understand because she was jumping halfway through the movie. Um, but this is definitely a movie that, at least in some way, was accessible to her. But coming back to movie seven, this is not the movie that I would introduce my non-Star Trek fans, uh, fr- friends to. You you have non-Star Trek friends? Um, maybe. Yes. Um, it's a criteria for me. Yeah, it is. It is very, I'm sorry. You don't like Star Trek? Sorry, you can't be my friend. Nope. Unfriended <laughs> on Facebook. Unfriend. Unfriend. Oh, you're one of those people. They don't agree with you. You unfriend them. Great. No. We have enough of them on Facebook. No, no. Only, only when it comes to my science fiction. The, rest of the political stuff is fine. You're because- damaging my calm. But... <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, uh, I know. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, any of the other – oh, we didn't mention, but Tim Russ was in this movie, who was uh, – Yes. Yeah. As, as a, a non-Vulcan. What was that? As a non-Vulcan. As a non-Vulcan, right? He uh, – as part of the crew. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Part of the Enterprise B crew. Yeah. Yeah. I like the um, – I like the just a little bit of trivia. I like when Nimoy. We were talking about this before the show too. That Nimoy was asked to do it. He read the script and said anyone could deliver the lines, and he refused to do it because it wasn't Spock enough. So they gave it to Scotty. His lines to Scotty, and then later on, he used it as proof that he was right that anyone could <laughs> deliver his lines. So, well, he was right. He was right. I mean, did anyone say, you know, that doesn't sound like Scotty. It sounds more like a Spock thing. Yeah. No, I didn't, not, like, I didn't, I didn't watch the movie and think to myself, huh, that sounds a lot like something Spock would say because it seemed well in line with what Scotty would say. So, you know, he, he was right. He was. I'm going to, I'm going to give that to him. <laughs> That's a, that, but I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, Oh, 50 days before shooting, the captain's chair on the bridge was stolen. Oh. A new one had to be used, one made of fiberglass around foam on the old first season frame. Who stole it? I don't know. They'll never find it. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> Dave's sitting on it right now. 11-year-old oh. me. <laughs> Darn, where were you like a couple months ago? We had a Star Trek bachelorette party, and I totally could have used that chair. There you go. Oh. They, you should see it. They they were they were pinning kisses on Captain Kirk. So the new one, <laughs> the new one, yeah, the new Captain Kirk. Oh, the new one. Yeah. Well, well, we thought it was the more age appropriate. Yeah, I mean, come on, bachelorette oh. party. You wouldn't like old Kirk. You wouldn't do that with. Me. No, no. <laughs> but that's actually good. Yes. Yeah, so you know, need a cool party yeah. plan. That that right there. <laughs> Um, I did find it interesting that many of the recording devices they were the crew was carrying around mm-hmm. are actually handheld video games. Really? Yep. So when they got bored on set. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be like having a phone today. Yeah, here, let me check the vitals. Ooh, Angry Birds. You know? <laughs> you know? Pokemon Go. Ooh. You know? Tell them, I'm sorry. I can't film right now. I really need to catch this Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Rattata again. <laughs> Oh my! Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other good trivia here. This is this is Shatner's only appearance without Nimoy. Uh, oh yeah. So well, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have known that, but hmm. but 
Um, I think that's pretty good. I don't, anything else before we wrap up the show here? But I think we did a good job. Yeah, we think we covered that pretty, pretty thoroughly. The idea of the crash landing in the saucer section, this is interesting, uh, was originally supposed to be the cliffhanger ending for season six of TNG. Ooh. Although yeah. the lack of safety features during the landing is that a pro- I, is that problematic for you? It is. It's one of those things where, like my oh my analysis, oh yeah, brain mm. like sometimes gets in the way of my enjoyment seat of science belts, fiction. Seat belts. I know. I'm sitting there going like, well, where are their seat belts? Why don't they have you know technology for this? They're just like all laying around and. Dave, uh, I have or- a question. I have a question for you. Yeah, that you I can't answer it. Maybe Chrissy can answer it, but. Um, there is a 47 reference when Data says that the ribbon will arrive at Viridian 3 in 47 minutes. 47. What? The m- uh, number. Okay, so explain that to me because – and maybe I – like, like I know – like, what is it? Section 33, Section right? 31. 31. So that's not it. So what's the 47 have to do with it? You, you just kind of have to go and – you pay attention watching, especially next gen and on. The number 47 pops up more often than random randomly should. It, it's it's in just about I would say it's almost every episode. Hmm. Almost every episode you can get a four a reference with the number 47 in it. It's just kind of one of those little Easter egg things that we've picked people have picked up over the years. Oh, of course, but well, yeah. they wanted to use 42, but that was too obvious. Yeah, they had to add five to it. They answered it. everything in the universe. And it's not Star Trek. but Well, maybe maybe in that universe, the, the supercomputer recalculated it, and it came out 47 instead. Yes. That, that is going to be my yeah. answer. Yep. I'm sticking with it. There, you, should, you should. Is it oh, a prime number? It, uh, 47 is a prime number. Well, there you go. It's a prime number. It is. Data would be happy with that. We'd be happy with that. By the way, uh, Dave, you mentioned in the scene that you like where Data sings. Oh yes, the the look of surprise in the crew's face is real. Oh, I, I because it is. because Brett Spiner was supposed to hum it, and he decided to ab lib it instead. Oh my god! And the director was so amused he left it in. Oh goodness! So, <laughs> so totally ad libbed. <laughs> you know, sometimes ad libbed stuff is like the best. Yeah, and uh, like, I usually find out that my favorite scenes, and this is one of the times that it didn't work for me, but usually like my favorite scenes are the ones that actors just completely ad lib. Yeah, like when Indiana Jones just pulls out his pistol and like shoots that guy. It it just like every time I just die like laughing hysterically because it's so amusing to me. It was neat to see Brad Spiner doing. Did you know that Robin Williams? cost Aladdin a nomination for best original script because he ad-libbed the genie's line so much. Really? Yes. Because it wasn't it wasn't on par enough. Well, like, no, yeah. because it would have been it had to have been original script and if you're ad-libbing over like, you know, 30% of the script, then it's not a script. It's just Robin Williams deserves his own Oscar for ad-lib. That's true. Makes sense. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we did. I think we talked about the movie, and yeah. we did it justice. And uh, both the good, the bad, the ugly, the things we liked. Um, it was an interesting introduction 
to the next gen crew and the big screen. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's my favorite next gen film. No, but uh, we'll have to see when we talk about the next one. What is the next film after this? First Contact. First Contact. The eighth film. The eighth <laughs> film. The even numbered film. Therefore, it should be better. It is better, apparently, according to Roger Ebert. Very it's, much so. It's better. Dave wants to be back on for that show. So. <laughs> but, hey, Dave, we just appreciate you so much coming and joining us tonight in the Sci-Fi Diner to talk about uh, Star Trek Generations. Hey, I'm more than thrilled. Thank you for having me. No, it's, it's great to have you on. So, um, And it's, uh, it's great to just chat Star Trek and, uh, and, uh, and just uh, and all that. So. But we do appreciate you coming on. And Chrissy, it's great to have you back on again. Yeah, so good to be here. We're going to have her on uh, fairly regularly. And uh, she brings more of a psychological look at it. Look at that. It's bringing her profession into that. Yeah, well, you really can't take it out of me. No, I guess not. <laughs> it, is, it is your passion, so it works this way. There's a reason I picked the profession. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so now we're going to psychoanalyze all the movies we watch. Just yes. No, <laughs> not necessarily. Not necessarily. It depends whether or not it's... It this is really it. it just really lended itself to well, being it a did. psychological film. You're very much so. And uh and very narcissistic Roger <laughs> Heber, so very. <laughs> very. But all right. Well, I believe that's it. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back with another show in two weeks. And then in four weeks, we're gonna be doing our next Star Trek film. And we gotta start talking about what we're gonna do for our Christmas show. That's not too far away. You're totally doing Star Wars Christmas special. We, we, we've done that one already. But we could do it. There's no reason why we couldn't do it again. Well, is the new one coming out around Christmas again? No, 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 no. No, no. no, no new Star Star Wars this time. But Oh, that's right, because Solo came out earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah. And ruined oh. it for everyone. No, just kidding. But really anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure something out. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, but again, thank you so much for joining us. Dave, thanks once again for joining us. Thank you. All right. And I believe that's it. Let's go ahead and uh, go out of the show. And until next time, good night and good luck. Yeah, yeah, you need a tagline, Chris. I really haven't thought of one. Yeah, you, need, you need a tagline. Just say goodbye. Well, until next time, good evening. There we are. There we go. Until next time, good evening. We'll put that in. Okay. Or we'll just dialogue about this. Like, you need a tagline. I don't. Vote I'll for just, my tagline. Have them vote on Facebook or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You need to decide and vote on what Chrissy's new tagline should be. We're going to put it up there as a poll. <laughs> right. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash sci-fi diner.